I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music. Our guest on this week's episode is our first photographer on the show, Paige Sarah. Paige was born and raised in Southern California and first got interested in photography at the age of 12 when she found her family's point and shoot camera during a summer vacation. As a teenager, she studied at a school of the arts where she grew a deep love for music and refined her photographic skills and actually began her professional photography career when she combined those passions for live music and photography and began documenting rock shows throughout the greater Los Angeles area. It wasn't long before Paige started shooting on the road with musicians, a gig that has taken her around the world and into the depths of the creative process with her collaborators. Her work with clients such as Interscope Records, Billie Eilish, Hilary Duff, and Greta Van Fleet has led her to broaden her horizons and begin directing, producing, and leading creative on various projects. Paige lives in Nashville, and I'm super happy to welcome her to The Sound of Success. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming on. Hey, nice to see you too. Wow, that sounds so good when you say it. Sounds like a career, <laughs> right? It, it does. It sounds amazing. Thanks for it, having me. Yeah, my pleasure. You know, at the top of the intro, I mentioned that your first photographs were taken on a, a point and shoot camera. Uh, tell us, first of all, what the camera was and what was it about those early pictures that made you want to explore your creativity through images? Yeah, actually, the first um, time that I can recall photographing and then having kind of this sense of like connection to it was, uh, again, as you mentioned, on a family vacation. And we were in Mammoth Mountain, California mm. um, in the summer on, you know, traveling and hiking and experiencing nature out there. And I was taking photos on a little Canon power shot. Um, prob I don't even know how many megapixels, but it's probably underwhelming now, now having the the technology that we do have. But um, I later then got a pink Canon power shot for Christmas that following mm. that following holiday season, um, because my family noticed how much I loved it. So was that something you asked for? You said I want my own. I don't think I even asked for it. I'm pretty sure they just sort of noticed that I had taken in the family camera as my own and said like, she has to give it back. We'll get her her own. Right. And they got you a pink one, which is to totally cool. Um, it's very, it's very up my alley. I, I know that you were interested in fashion photography uh, early on as well. Um, what drew you to, to fashion photography? Uh, was it the editorial sort of layouts in magazines? Yeah, it, it was exactly that. Actually, um, we always had subscriptions to Vogue and In Style and the L and Vanity Fair and all of those magazines growing up. And, you know, you flip through, see what interests you. And for some reason, the uh, fashion editorials and even the advertisements just completely stuck with me from such a young age. What kind of kid were you? What else were you interested in? <laughs> I tried every sport and was bad at every sport. Um, like completely like really bad um but i love drawing and painting i loved singing and i was a very artistic child you know really colorful very girly girl growing up i loved disney and, you know boy bands and like all of the stereotypical stuff that young girls of my generation were supposed to love i pretty much loved all of it to be honest um and yeah, that, that was my childhood. I was extremely girly. I loved, I loved the princesses. I loved all of the things I was supposed to love. 
What boy bands did you have on your wall? Did you, or did you just have layouts from Vogue? Of course I had, I had, um, you know, editorials plastered all over my walls from, you know, the age of like maybe eighth grade through high school. But before that it was like the Jonas brothers, Justin Bieber, um, I think maybe I might have gotten a little bit of um, in sync or Backstreet, but it was slightly before my time. So it was mostly Jonas Brothers, Justin Bieber, Big Time Rush, those kind of those kind of teeny bopper bands. It's so funny now, but um, yeah, and well, I we loved all it. have them. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it shaped my my whole perception of of music and how to work in it now. Which it's it's really amazing to have the perception of being a fan. Um, and allow that to sort of guide me through the industry nowadays. So I, I respect my, my fangirl upbringing. When did you, uh, when did you start shooting bands live? Oh man, I had just graduated high school. I want to say I was 17 turning 18. Um, and I, I finally got my first photo pass to shoot, um, at the observatory Orange County with this band called the Griswolds. Mm. And they were gracious enough to give me a photo pass because they knew that I was a portrait photographer, but what they didn't know is that I had never shot a show before. <laughs> Australian <laughs> so, band, right? Yeah. Australian yeah. band. Um, they played a lot in the California area and they were, they were really lovely, gracious and gave me my first photo pass and it just completely snowballed from there. Now, I know you were shooting bands in, in Hollywood, but you were also shooting bands in, in San Diego because you were sort of living halfway between. And I'm, and I'm wondering, did you ever shoot a band one night in Hollywood or in LA and then shoot them again the next night in, in San Diego? And, and if you did, what's the difference between those shows, between those audiences? That's such a funny question. Yes, I did that all the time. I would go to like depending on how many California shows they had, sometimes it was like LA, Orange County and San Diego, or just, you know, one of the, or two of the three. Um, and the crowds are super, super different. That's the biggest change I would say between the shows is, you know, LA crowd, it's a lot of industry folks. It's a lot of people who, you know, maybe are there for business reasons or have go to so many shows. They're not as interested in dancing. They're not as lively, not always, sometimes. That's the yep. generalization, but sometimes. And then in San Diego, I think the people are super rowdy. It's also, there's also colleges in San Diego. So depending right. on where you're playing, you're closer to a younger crowd. That make a difference in how you set up at all? No, not particularly. I think, you know, with those rowdier crowds, it's just a little bit more difficult to get around. Um, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful of people who might spill on you or who aren't paying attention to you know, what's around them. But other than that, I don't think it's too different from, from a photography perspective. Now, shooting a band live on stage is one thing. Shooting a band for an album cover or a press shoot is a whole other uh, way of doing business. Can you tell us the difference in preparation? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's majorly different. I think the main difference is that with um, album cover shooting and, and kind of portrait and editorial work, it's there's so much pre-production. I mean, you start from scratch, which I always start from the music, regardless of the situation. That's how I will blend my style is based on based on the music. But 
um, with album covers and editorials, you know, you're going through, okay, where are we going to shoot? Let's talk about location. Let's talk about styling. Let's talk about makeup and hair. Let's talk about set design. Do we need props? Do we need, you know, what are the deliverables that management needs or that the label needs? Like, what are they looking for? What's the purpose of this? Is it for press or is it more creative? Like, mm depending on the situation and what you're shooting for, the deliverables will change and then that might change the entire shoot, to be honest. Um, but with live shows, it's kind of like you just do it. Like you get there, you make sure you have what you need in terms of, you know, lenses and gear, but you just run through it and hope that it works out, to be honest. It's super different. Do you have a preference? No, I love the chaos of a live show, but I also love the control of that. Uh, of uh, what comes from editorial and, and album cover and that kind of work, portrait work. Um, I think it's fun to be meticulous and to be very, very specific about, you know, what this color looks like and what you're wearing and, and what that angle you want to shoot at is or whatever it is. It's extremely, it's an, an extremely controlled environment in some situations, not all situations, but most of them. And then the live shows, it's like, you capture magic because it's what's happening in front of you. Mm -hmm. So both of those things are really beautiful. Now you came up during the age of digital photography, but you were also trained in developing film and darkroom techniques. And you, in fact, I believe shoot mostly on film these days. Can you tell us how you came back to film and what's so special about it? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I learned film from a very young age. You know, I went to a high school that taught um, film photography. So I learned how to develop and process when I was about, you know, 14, 15, freshman in mm. high school. And I did it all the way through and I hated it because I was not good at it, which you're not supposed to be when you start. You're supposed mm -hmm. to be bad at it. and You're supposed to get better at it. Right. But I didn't like the challenge at that time and that age. And, um, you know, I continued to do it through college, dropped out of college, kind of it missed me for a while. And then as I started shooting bands, I felt this sense of authenticity within film. You know, it started with disposable cameras and then I started bringing 35 millimeter cameras into shows or just into, you know, backstage with artists or wherever I could could figure out um, what made sense. And then I found a uh, 120 millimeter camera um, in my parents' attic over over quarantine that first round of quarantine and I mm. I thought it was super interesting it's a beautiful camera and I just I felt there was this kind of magic connection there that I wanted to explore and then it became my favorite thing ever and now I I mostly shoot with that camera or um, shooting with Super 8 um, film and just exploring different mediums of analog has become such a foreign challenge I used to dislike the challenge but now it's what i like most about these these formats do you still um develop or make any of your your own prints or is that all out to uh to labs these days um i mostly partner with labs around nashville at this time they have been kind enough the, the kind folks at third man photo studio have offered to let me come in and try my hand at developing again. And I'm going to take them up on it as soon as I have a nice test role that I am not willing to mess up right. <laughs> or that I'm willing to mess up, I should say. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, because I don't, I don't trust myself right away. But um, yeah, I'm definitely going to give it a go again soon. I haven't done it in years, though, and I've been itching to get back. So they've been kind enough to offer, offer their lab to let me try it again. 
That sounds like fun. I've been talking uh, to you um, a, a little bit earlier when we first uh, start, started talking about some of the, the bands and the artists that you've shot through, through the years and some big names there. And you've become very well known for your work with uh, Greta Van Fleet over the last uh, four years, I guess. I mean, even with the, the sort yeah. of break uh, for, the, for the pandemic and you're involved in a, a more creative role with them these days as, as well. What is it that's so special about that band? Because I, I know you love these guys. You've gotten to know them as friends. And uh, tell us a little bit about working with them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm so lucky to work with them because I think from day one, there was just this palpable creative connection between all of us. You know, we're all around the same age, and I think that's special in and of itself. But we all, at the end of the day, we all have so much care and so much passion about what we do that, you know, we we push each other. Like, we push each other creatively, and we always want um, to get better, and whether that's visually or sonically, you know, they push each other musically, but I think creatively we all push each other and that's a part of the magic for sure. But, um, you know, with them, it's, it's like they are super hands-on in terms of creative. They want to be a part of everything. They want to make the collages. They want to be, you know, involved in the, in the creative and what things are going to look like and feel like, and they have such a heavy hand in all of these things that, um, you know, when we're all on the same page or, or even if we're not and we push each other to, you know, discover something new or change our minds, there's just this sense of community around working with them because they just care so much and they all care about each other and everyone that works with them, you know, they're so hands-on and so respectful and they have such bright ideas. It's It's been a huge, huge blessing to be able to help bring their ideas to life and then also just kind of intro them to new new ideas and new creative directions as well like you know Josh is is extremely into film and cinema and he's been able to you know share that love and bring that love into um the creative with them and you know they all have such different perspectives to bring um and it's just so special to watch all of that come together so I think it, it's just amazing. Like, I'm so lucky. I keep saying that, but it's, it's true. Do you have a preference for black and white or color? Film or oh, digital? That's question answered with a question. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking just for, you know, for still images. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's so funny. I go back and forth with this one. I'm going to say right now, my favorite for film photography, still photography would be like using analog would be color because I absolutely love, you know, exploring different stocks and um, Porta 400, if you know, you know, <laughs> that's a film stock that photographers are obsessed with. I am mm -hmm. also obsessed with it. And it still also has really beautiful um, colors. Um, and then for digital black and white, I think there's something, there's just something magic about it. You know, it depends on the image, but I'll, I'll answer with a generalization of, um, digital black and white and film color. No, I like, I like that you have uh, two, different, uh, two different answers for that question. Uh, all right, let's jump into the music stuff. What's your yeah. first musical memory? Oh, this is such a good question. I actually, <laughs> I don't really have my first musical memory, but I have an anecdote from my mother. So hopefully this will suffice. Okay. My mom, it, she tells me that, that when I was in the womb, 
she went to a jazz festival. And the first time that I ever kicked or moved around was at the jazz festival when they started playing. And so now she uses that as a, I always knew you'd work in music because one time when I was pregnant, you were kicking around at this jazz festival. And it was the first time I fe- ever felt you move. Right. I think that it's so hysterical. Do you like jazz? I do. It's actually something that I'm newly, newly into. And it started with um, exploring like 40s through 60s jazz vocalists like Julie London, Blossom Deary. Yeah, I've gone in a weird direction with jazz and and it's expanded from there. Like most people start with like Duke Ellington or, you know, some of the greats, Miles Davis. And I, for some reason, started with like Chet Baker. I don't know how that happened. So I guess, you know, maybe it's true that that uh, there was something special happening at that jazz festival. <laughs> but your mom's going to your mom's going to want to think there is as well, because then, you know, she gave you her career, your career, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first music you bought with your own money? Man, you know, it's funny because I realized with this question, like, my generation was buying music on iTunes. That was that was the first thing. So, you know, I do remember, though, buying an NSYNC record from, like, an arcade with tokens when I was really little. And I want to say that would have been the record. I think that was the record with, um, they're all, like, all on puppet strings. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the name of that record. But um, I think that was the first one I got, technically speaking, because I bought it with tokens at an arcade as a little girl. Um, but with my own money, like from iTunes, it was probably Justin Bieber's first record. Now that I'm thinking about it, just both are great answers. <laughs> da- downloading uh, through through iTunes and just maxing out our computer hard drives, which is what we were doing 15 years ago, I guess, right? Um what about concerts? Obviously, you've uh, you've uh, created a whole career out of shooting live music. Um, what was the first concert that you went to without adult supervision? So the first concert, I forced my mom to get me Justin Bieber tickets up for my 13th birthday. Mm-hmm. And I went to Justin Bieber. It was Nokia Theater, which I don't believe is currently called Nokia Theater in L.A. Got a new name um, now, For yeah. my 13th birthday. Yeah. And that was the first one I went to, but my mom was there. Okay. So I don't know if that counts with the question. Um, so I guess it would be, it might be big time rush, which is even better in the pop world, <laughs> just deeper into fangirl culture. Um, and, and that would have been, you know, probably 15 or 15 or 16. I was heavily into pop at this time in my life. Um, you know, I didn't really have a whole lot of exposure to other music at that time. Not to say pop isn't great. It is great. But um, I feel like it's not, you know, my most listened to nowadays. But yeah, I would say um, probably a big time rush at that time. My next question is about dancing. And uh, I, I, I think, you know, from from what you were just telling me about these early shows that you went to and the early music that you liked, um, what do you listen to when you want to dance? Is it pop music? What, what's uh, what, what's your thing when you when you feel like? Yes, you know, I mean, you know what? If I really want to dance, I'm gonna listen to disco and mm. maybe funk. I'm gonna listen to like ABBA. I'm gonna put on Parliament or Funkadelic. Mm. Um, but if the mood is is feeling a little more current, I'll listen to uh, Megan The Stallion or Dua Lipa. I love Dua Lipa. I love Megan The Stallion, Lady Gaga. There are some real pop 
pop icons that are putting out such great music right now to dance to. But, you know, if I'm DJing at like a party, I'm going to play disco for sure. Do you listen to music when you feel sad? And, and, and if you do, do you listen to music that sort of just takes you into it? Or do you listen to music that pulls you out of it? Oh, I am a musical masochist. I will pull myself deeper into the sadness. It is a problem. Um, I would say Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers are potentially the best musician to to listen to and just completely disintegrate into your sadness. <laughs> That's such a, it's like the most beautiful and painful thing. But I love listening to sad music when I'm sad. Oh my God, it's, it's a problem. Well, well demographic-wise, that, that makes perfect sense because you're in your mid-20s and they're, they're younger artists as well. What, what is it about them um, that really resonates with you? Do, do they just speak to you and, and generationally just sort of make the connections? I think so. I mean, there are so many different songs that I like fixate on within their discographies. I think Phoebe has a really interesting perception and her perspective in songwriting is, is really, it's really poignant and beautiful, but it also does kind of have this generational connection. Um, and at least to me, it does. And, and to my friends, and I think that's why she's had so much success is because she kind of speaks for this generation of like, you know, it, it's, it's a really interesting perspective, but um, with Julian Baker too, I think her, her music is, it is maybe the saddest music I've ever heard. <laughs> and she does, she wears it well. I mean, she's so talented songwriter, you know, guitar player, musician overall, vocalist. But um, something about her song Faith Healer really connected with me, mm. um, especially in the past few years. And that song, you know, at least in the way that I perceive it, because I know songs are not always meant or written the way that we as listeners understand them. But the way that I understood that song was like losing your faith and having to kind of reinvent what what faith is and that could be religious it could be spiritual it could be so many different things um but you know in a broader sense to me that song and that record is about like losing your understanding of faith and having to reinvent it and figure out does that even exist and where do i live within that space of of spirituality or religion and and to me that was so it hit so hard the first time i heard it and it does sound kind of like a cry for help in a way and it, it is in a little it is a little bit within um her songs but i think that's that's why i've connected with those two artists so specifically with her, you know sad music i know that you've um ma made a shift in the last couple of years uh to start incorporating um video uh and making videos uh, and, and film do you have a favorite music video um and and if so why and would it be something from the past that was on television a lot is it just something new that perhaps is is going around the internet right now yeah that's a fantastic question you know i think a lot of my my desire to get into creative direction actually came from a space of loving music videos i think there's so many great music videos out there from all different eras, but um, I'm gonna say that my favorite one, and this is kind of for nostalgia's sake, 
is um, the 1975's video for Robert. And the reason that's my favorite, I mean, it's beautifully done. The director is Tim Mattia and he's just phenomenal. But um, for me, there's kind of this sentimental value to that video because it was the first time um, I had ever seen a video that felt so cinematic and resonated from an artistic perspective. Um, you know, I see, I think we see a lot of performance videos and I think that's fantastic and, and it's so well done a lot of the time, but this for me, you know, as a high schooler being so into the music and so heavily influenced by music and culture at that time, this was the first time I had ever seen a video that felt cinematic and beautiful and well done and just transcended the music to me. Um, and it really inspired me to want to dive into creativity more and deeper within, within my you know, desire to want to be a music photographer, that kind of video showed me what was possible um, to create, you know, outside of just music photography into the musical world of an artist. And then the same, for the same exact reason, Lana Del Rey's video for Ride had the same effect on me of like, this is the first time I've ever seen anything like this. I didn't know this was possible. Um, to just build a world around these songs is just phenomenal in my perspective. So in, in, uh, for those reasons, for inspiration's sake, I will say those two videos are my favorite. Do you have a recent musical discovery that you'd like to share with our listeners? And it doesn't have to be a new band. It can be, I mean, you were just telling me how you're discovering these jazz artists, for example. Do you have uh, somebody that you've come across recently from whatever period of time that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, connect in connection with those jazz artists we just talked about, Blossom Deary is a new favorite of mine. Julie London. I am completely obsessed with Julie London. Mm. I, for some reason, I had never heard of her, but she's this smoky jazz vocalist. Um, I believe her her eras active were the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And gosh, she's just this phenomenal velvet voice. And I am obsessed. Um, but more modern, I recently discovered an artist named Tomino that I absolutely love. How, are you, how are you spelling that? T-A-M-I-N-O. I think he's Egyptian and Dutch. So he has this really cultural, like global sound to his music. And it's just so beautiful. His voice is so haunting. It, the art around his music is beautiful too. So um, I'm a big fan of that. And then I'll say one more. Um, Natalie Bergman, who is a third man artist. Um, she put out a record called Merge called mercy last year and i absolutely adore it it's actually a gospel record but it's mm. contemporary and it's just i'm not typically into gospel music or contemporary christian music in any way um but it's so beautiful and well done and it has this sort of universal message that i feel like transcends religion um, and that's why I really love it. So I would recommend checking out Natalie Bergman's record, uh, Mercy, as well. It is slightly preachy, but I think there are tones that connect with all of us. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful record. Her voice is lovely. I'll make a point myself of checking that out. I, I have actually heard of her. Tamino, I don't know, but I'm just looking him up real quick as we were talking. And he's got 
millions of of, of streams on on Spotify. So he's obviously uh, got a career outside of the U.S. I'm sure. Yeah, I think he does really well in um, Europe. I correct me if I'm wrong, any listeners, but I'm I think he's from uh, Egypt and or the Netherlands. Um, so I think he has more of a of a global following, you know, outside of the U.S. But in the U.S., I had never heard of him until um, I want to say last year. And then I listened to the the record that Tummy is on, which you, that, that song Tummy is the one that came onto a playlist um, on Spotify. You're very close. Uh, Belgian. Which is ah, nice. okay. Nice yeah. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> I as, need a as... fact checker at all times. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you. There's going to be fans out there saying this is, he is not from there. Belgium, <laughs> so I uh, Egypt, it. and uh, Leb- Lebanese heritage. So we'll definitely be wow. checking him out. And you can hear that in his music too. It's really beautiful. Do you have a band or an artist that you personally love, but you feel like they never quite got the break they, they deserved? Yeah, there's this band called Seoul, spelled like the um, spelled like the city in Korea, mm. and they only put out one record, but it is absolutely stunning. It kind of is in the same vein as like, um, maybe like Fleet Foxes, um, or something kind of in that in that okay. realm. Um, and that record is so beautiful, but they just disappeared after that record. It came out in 2015 and nothing since. Yeah, but it's the most gorgeous album. So Jeff, definitely check that one out. That band called Soul. And I think that's uh, that they, they should have kept going. <laughs> they were so good. What about an, uh, an artist or a band that is a guilty pleasure? And I, when I say guilty pleasure, um, I'm talking something that you might not have told anybody else. Okay. This is this is embarrassing, but I did love when Machine Gun Kelly was a rapper. I'll say it. I liked it. I don't I don't particularly love the pop punk stuff. And with all due respect, I think, you know, he's a great artist and, you know, there's a market for that. And that's wonderful. But I did like his (laughs) I did like some of these rap songs. I'm not going to lie. Other than that, I would say, you know, I still like listening to kind of those nostalgic boy bands and it's fun and and you know it, they were they were hits for a reason um baby no money a rapper i also really like and then i guess my true guilty pleasure is actually that i just fixate on songs and then play them on repeat nonstop until i get sick of them mm. <laughs> but uh other than that yeah i'm not i i'm not guilty about things i i think i like what i like it's all out in the open you're not hiding anything. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I'm I'm thinking about uh, back in the day when we would have cassettes <laughs> and you would listen to cassettes over and over because they would just keep going. They just flip and, you know, come back and flip and come back or whatever. It's it's a little bit similar, obviously, with, uh, with, with playlists. They just sort of keep rolling through unless you stop them. But if you, if you listen to something on repeat, on repeat, on repeat until you get sick of it, how long till you can come back around to something like that? That's a great question. I find it on my like Spotify top song mm. of 2021. So I'll listen to a song so much for like a week and a half and then not listen to it for the rest of the year. And that's my whole top 
like top 20, 21, 2022 playlist. It's just songs I loved for a week on played on repeat. That's it. So maybe, maybe like a few months at least until I come back around to it. And then I remember, oh yeah, I had a total fixation with this song. Final question that we always wrap up the interviews with, and that is, uh, well, let's see, it's 4.30 on a rainy afternoon here on March 28th in Los Angeles. You're in Nashville where I believe it's 6.30. Um, how are you feeling right now? Honestly, I'm a little jittery. I think I had too much coffee today. <laughs> Um, but other than that, I feel good. You know, I'm happy to be in Nashville, happy to be, you know, working a lot and busy and, and trying out, uh, you know, starting new projects and trying new things within creative. But, you know, I really can't complain. I know, I don't like when people say that, but it's true. Like, what am I going to complain about? You know, life is pretty good. We're, uh, we're just beginning to sort of see live music coming back. Uh, a lot of festivals this, this year. Um, what's your plans for, um, 2022 you know i don't know exactly what i'm what i'm doing this year yet or for the rest of this year i think you know i have some upcoming projects with some clients i can't exactly talk about yet but i can tell you guys you know i'm definitely going to be working more in creative this year a little bit less in photo mm. um but it's all really exciting things you know i'm trying new mediums i'm i'm trying new formats to explore creativity and to, to, to make things with people I work with. That's vague, but <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, I think this year I'm just excited. Hopefully I'll get a little bit of traveling in, um, over the summer, but we will see. I think I'm just excited to kind of jump into this creative, creative world and, and, you know, let photography take a back seat just, just for the time being, it'll come back around. I would like to let people know that you currently, at this time of recording, have a, a show uh, in, in Los Angeles at Mr. Musichead Gallery, where you can uh, see a bunch of your photographs that have been selected for, uh, for, for, for that particular event. And people can see them online as well, right? And if they wanted, they can purchase. Yeah, yeah. So Mr. Musichead curated um, a collection from my archive. And that includes um, work with Greta Van Fleet, Tim and Paula, uh, Barnes Courtney, among others. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a great collection. They have an online store, so you can check those out online. But they also have a uh, section in the gallery with some of those selects um, up in the store. So you can check it out in Hollywood or online, and they're all available for purchase at this time. But um, they are in very limited quality or quantity, excuse me, very they're limited quantity, quality because they're great quality. Yeah, they really are. The I highest this, quality, but limited quantity. They, they yeah. are. They're fine art quality, um, archival. I picked, you know, this beautiful metallic pearlescent paper, hand signed all of them mm. um, and numbered. So um, a very high quality, but in very limited quantity. <laughs> um, they are going to sell out um you know, eventually. So definitely check that out now. Um, because yeah, I didn't want to do, I wanted them to be special. Mm. So they are, uh, yeah, there's not too many available. All right. Well, listen, it's been great uh, speaking with you. Paige Sarah has been our guest on this week's edition of the sound of success and, uh, continued success to you. And uh, maybe we'll see you around at one of these rock shows in LA once we all get back out and about, but not this year, maybe next year. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been great. You're the best. Thank you.
Thanks, Paige. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com.